So that was a song written by a guy named Josh Garrels. Um, if, if you don't know who that is, you should look him up, because he's really good. That song's good. Uh, I didn't know he had a Christmas album, because I'm out of the loop like that. Um, but um, yeah, he's got some really good, really good stuff. So um, just some free pub for a guy I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, this morning, we're going to look at two different uh, scripture passages. So we're in, we're in the season of Advent. My, my dad talked about it last week and uh, did an Advent thing. Uh, we're going to continue to do Adventy things. Um, so Luke 3, uh, 1 through, I believe, 6. Yes. I'm, I might mention a few more, but don't worry about putting that up there. Um, and then uh, Philippians 1, 3 through 11. Uh, these are these are two different passages that sort of come along every, every few years on the church calendar during Advent. We put them together and talk about them, and, and we'll talk about how the, the ideas and themes are sort of related to one another, and um, hopefully that will be fun. So the words will be on the screen behind me, or you can follow along um, if you've got them with you. So before we read, let's pray together. God, once again, we say thank you for, for your word. And as we, we stop, we still our hearts and our minds, we pray that you would speak. Holy Spirit, do what you do. Open our hearts and our minds so that, so that we might hear a word from you. And not just hear it, but be moved by it move to, to become more who you want us to be. Change us and mold us. In Jesus' name, amen. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Lysanias, I practiced that and over and over and over again. I still, anyway, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John, we call him the Baptist. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. And then he goes on to to uh, talk about the coming of the, the, the one who will come after him. He's like, I'm baptizing you with water, but this guy, this, this guy's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he says there'll be sort of this separation. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff, and the chaff is going to be burned, and there's this sort of, um, there's this talk of a coming judgment, right? And that word makes us go, oh, I don't know about that, right? So that's the Luke 3. Philippians 1, 3 through 11 says this, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I 
I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So good. So let me read some of those words to you again from, from Philippians. I, th- I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you, so something's going on, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of, of Christ Jesus. The day of Christ Jesus. So something, something bigger is going on here. And I think it's important for us to remember that this is a letter. This is a letter from a real guy, a real pastor, a real church planter, right? Back in the, in the first century, he's writing a letter to real people, right? This, this little church in Philippi, maybe 100 people, maybe 200 people, not a real big church. This is very early on, right? It's a church that he sort of helped set up, and now he writes this letter. Wouldn't it be nice to get a letter that sounded a lot like the 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 letter that he sent them that contained, those words are so hopeful, they're so filled with joy, they remind me of the letters that we get and we send around this time of year, Christmas letters. How many of you have received a Christmas letter already? Anybody? You've received, how many of you have sent your Christmas letters already? (laughs) No, none of you are on it, none of you, but we've gotten some already, some people are on it. This community, we ain't got it. We're not, we're not on it. We're, we're, we're slow, right? I think it's great that we still live into that tradition, that we still live into that tradition of sending letters uh, around Christmas time, right? Even though we already know everything about each other because of Facebook, like we're always posting on there, we're always reading about each other, but, but yet we still around Christmas, we feel like it's important. There's something about receiving a letter or a picture with a letter on the back. We do things differently now, right? I think it's great that we still do that because those letters are always filled with so much hope. They're filled with so much joy as they sort of recap the year that just flew by faster than any previous year. They sort of recap, and these, these letters all have the same structure, which I find fascinating and interesting because it's not like any of us went to, went to class and we took a class on how to write a Christmas letter. But all these Christmas letters, they have the exact same structure. So you've got, if you've got a letter coming from a family, there's, it's always the same thing. There's a paragraph talking about each of the children. This is how old they are. This is what they're involved in. This is what they've accomplished. This is what grade they're in, right? Each different child gets, its own, gets their own paragraph. And then there's a paragraph about the mom and dad, about all the things that they've accomplished and all the, the places that they've been. And even if in the body of the letter, it doesn't mention God at all, the implication is clear, right? 
Look at what just happened this last year in our family's life together. Look at what God has done. Look at all the amazing things that we got to experience because, because God has given us all of these gifts. And then at the end of the letter, it always says something the same. Let us all remember the reason for the season. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, love and prayers to, to you and yours, and then they sign it at the bottom. So much hope in those letters, so much joy. I love reading them. This is Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. It's filled with lots of hope. It's filled with lots of joy. Some of the same themes that we have in our Christmas letters you find in this letter to the Philippians. He says, I'm confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So clearly, something's going on. He doesn't like spell it all out. Well, in a few places later on in the letter he does, but he doesn't spell it all out. But clearly, some good things have happened in the recent past. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So there's some sort of progress that's made within this little community in Philippi. But here's the deal. Paul planted that church. He started that community, but he doesn't take any credit for it. He doesn't even give the people there any credit for it because the credit belongs, the credit belongs to God. The whole project is God's idea. And if you read the whole letter to, Philipp, to the church in Philippi, you, you get the feeling that, that this project that God has begun and will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus is much, much bigger than just what's, what's happening in this little church in Philippi. No, the, the, the project that Paul is talking about is, is nothing less. It's much bigger. It's nothing less than the renewal, the recreation, the salvation, the transformation of the entire cosmos, the whole world. God started that work. God's going to complete that work. No wonder Paul's letter to the Philippian church is known as the letter of joy. It's no wonder that our letters around Christmas time are filled with so much hope and so much joy because this is the season. We're leading up to Christmas. Thanksgiving is already in the rearview mirror, which is still is nuts to me. But this is the season that we remember that God has done and is still doing amazing things. Amazing things in the world, amazing things in our lives, and we get to be a part of what God is up to in the world. Paul is reminding them that our stories, their stories and our stories aren't just about us. Like our stories are just a if you think about it, our stories are just like a little sentence in the book that contains the story of what God is up to in the whole world. Like our stories, they're just, it's just a part of God's larger story. And I find that significant because God has invited us into the good work that God is doing, not just here in this little community, but what God is doing in the world, the renewal, the recreation, the salvation, transformation of all there is. How's that for a big thought? So here's the deal. Here's the question. How do we get in on it? How do we enter into it? How do we figure out where our stories fit into the larger story of what God is up to in the whole world? How do we get into it? This is where the story of John the Baptist comes in. 
If you know anything about John the Baptist, then you know that he was the one preparing people for the coming of Jesus. If you read the Gospels, the stories about Jesus in the Bible, right? Sometimes it talks about the birth of Jesus, but then John is right there. And the implication is clear in these stories about Jesus, that if you want to get to Jesus, pay attention to John the Baptist first. If you want to receive Jesus, pay attention to John the Baptist first. That's why we go through. We're preparing to celebrate the coming of God into the world as a little baby boy, a human being, God in the flesh. That's why we pay attention to John the Baptist during Advent, because he was the one preparing people to meet the person of Jesus and to hear the message of Jesus, the person of Jesus and the message of Jesus that would bring salvation and transformation to the whole world. So in order for us to figure out where our stories fit into God's larger story of saving and transforming all that is, there first needs to be this sort of, sort of a wake-up call, sort of a hey, pay attention. Hey, wake up. So, I want you to do something for me. I want you to close your eyes. And if you're not a driver, this might be a little tough for you, but, but many of us in this room drive vehicles, so we know what this feeling is like. So I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine you're driving down the highway. No one else in the vehicle with you. You're all by yourself. You're not listening to any music. There's no radio. There's no music. The, the only thing you can hear is the hum of the road beneath you. You're thinking about family. You're thinking about friends. You're you're thinking about something someone said that made you that maybe made you sad or glad or happy, maybe even made you laugh. You're deep in thought. Maybe you're thinking about all the things you need to do before Christmas comes because there's so many things that we need to do before Christmas arrives. You're so lost in thought that it takes you a little while to notice the highway patrol car coming up fast behind you with its lights flashing. See it in your rearview mirror. Immediately your mind snaps back to present. All the nerves in your body fire all at once as your muscles tense and your right foot slowly moves from the accelerator to the brake pedal. You release the cruise control that's been set a little bit too high above the speed limit. You feel your heart pounding in your ears and your eyes move between the speedometer and your rearview mirror just waiting to be pulled over. And then the patrol car slides into the left lane and goes past you. Okay, you can open your eyes. Oh, what a relief. Ah, uh, phew. That's a wake-up call right there. That's the feeling that John the Baptist was, was after. Right there, that feeling you just felt. That's the feeling that John the Baptist was after as he was getting people to to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. Because his message, if you read it, it's sort of hard. It's sort of tough. It's sort of a message that's, that's in your face. It was, a, it was a tough message because he wanted people to wake up. He wanted people to pay attention. So in verse 3 it says, He was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. 
And then a little bit later on, we hear about the coming of Jesus. The one who will come after me will baptize you with the Spirit. There will be this separation. Separate the wheat from the chaff, and the chaff will be burned up, and it's this idea of judgment. And what do we feel when we think about this? The coming, like we've heard of the coming judgment. How does that make you feel? Anyone? There's a coming judgment. I saw a thumbs down. There's a coming judgment. Let's just sit in this feeling for a minute. Like, immediately we feel a sense of, oh no. Immediately we feel this sense of, of dread. We like feel this sense of, of, of condemnation. Right? We feel the harshness of it. We feel the toughness of it. But let's think about that word, that word this idea of, of judgment. Like Judgment just means to see things clearly. Well, that doesn't sound so hard. Judgment, judgment has this idea behind it, underneath it, of wise wise discernment. Right? We, we've been given this feeling of condemnation. We've been given this idea of, uh-oh. But when you really think about that word, it's to see things clearly, to see things for, for what they are, for how they are, to be honest about things, of wise discernment. So the idea that John and later Jesus is, hey, you have to do some hard work in your own life. Sometimes you have to do some hard work. Sure, God's going God's to make the valleys rise and, and the mountains and the hills will come down. But first, says John, you have to prepare the way. You have to do some hard work in your own life in order to receive this new life that's coming from Jesus. What is this hard work? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance means to change, to change your mind, to turn around. If you're walking this way, turn around and walk in the other direction. We've all got crooked roads and rough ways. We all have that. And if, we're gonna, and if they're going to become straight and smooth, we have to turn in the direction of salvation. Redemption and salvation, these are big ideas. Redemption and salvation, those things are God's work. Repentance, turning towards those things, that's our work. So we have, a, we have a part to play in this. We get to be involved in this. Salvation, transformation, gifts from God. But our work, we have to wake up. We have to turn toward it. See, here's the thing. I think this is a reality for everybody on the planet. We all have this gap in our lives. It's this gap. And for some people, the gap is bigger and greater than, than others. But there's this gap in our lives between the people we think we are or the people that we, we believe ourselves to be and then the people who we really are. Like, we like to think that we're the people who God wants us to be, but then there's the reality of, of who we really are. And John the Baptist is trying to get us to pay attention to that gap, right? So it's time to tell some truth. It's time to be honest about the things that, 
that maybe we haven't been, been honest about. It's time, to, it's time to clear our conscience. It's time, to, it's time to deal with guilt and shame that we've been carrying around for, for far too long. It's time, to, it's time to start repairing relationships that we may have had a hand in breaking. It's time to, to be honest about the systems in this world that we're involved with that, that seek to to push whole groups of people down. It's time, to, it's time to take a fresh look and examine the things that we believe, the things that we believe about God, the things that we believe about the Bible, the things that we believe about people and how the world works, and examine those things in order to see if instead of Instead of those beliefs pushing us into, into creating a better world for all people where all people can flourish, examine those beliefs about God and the Bible and the way things ought to work to see if uh, maybe, they're actually, maybe they're actually pushing people away. Maybe they're actually marginalizing people. Maybe they're actually making it harder for people to live good and flourishing lives. And maybe it's time to change some of those beliefs, change our mind about some of those beliefs. Did you know that it's okay to change your mind about what you believe? Yep. It's okay. You're going to be okay. It's hard, hard, tough, difficult work, but it's okay. Here's the deal. I don't believe the same things I believed 20 years ago. Because I kept walking. I kept learning. I kept examining. I guarantee you, you don't believe the same things that you believed 20 years ago because you kept walking. You had new experience. You kept learning. You kept listening for the voice of God and the movement of the Spirit. I certainly don't believe the same things I believed when I was like 10. No, we grow. We mature. We change our minds about things. It's okay. It's okay to do the hard work of this thing called repentance, and this is a safe place to do it. Friends, it's the holiday season. It's Advent. I love this time of year. Does everyone love this time of year? I love it. Christmas is just around the corner where we celebrate God becoming a little baby boy, becoming one of us, God in the flesh, who grew up and turned out to be the Savior and transformer of all of creation. And because it's that time of year, because it's the holiday season in this world, in this culture, in America, it's easy for us to get, up, get caught up in the excitement of it all. We spend a little more money than we usually spend we get caught up in gift giving and gift getting and receiving. We get caught up in, in the excitement of, of parties and, and reunions and family get-togethers and all that's really good stuff. It's great stuff, really great stuff, but it also has the potential of, of sort of lulling us to sleep, making us forget, or maybe just not pay attention to the fact that God is renewing, recreating, transforming, saving all of creation. And, and we get to be a part of that. So the word that God is breathing into our lives here this morning, don't let that happen. Wake up. Pay attention. Wake up. Pay attention to that gap in your life. Begin to close it. 
Do the hard work because the king is coming. The king. We don't live in a world with kings anymore. What if we did and the king was coming to your house? The king was coming for a visit. What would you do? If the king, like we don't get the full, we don't feel the full weight of what it would be like for the king to come to your house, to come to my house. We don't get the full weight of it because we don't live in a world with kings anymore. Monarchies are all but done. At least in our experience, they're all but done. You would prepare like crazy if the king was coming. Wouldn't you? You know that feeling you get when, when like a friend calls or a family member calls and they're going to come over to your house and they're going to be there in like a half an hour? You know that feeling you get? You're like, oh. So you run around the house and you close all the doors to the rooms that you don't want them to see. You got stuff laying around in the family room, living room, stuff on the kitchen counter. You quickly like take some of that stuff that's piled up on the kitchen counter, the stuff you haven't had time to deal with. You bring it into your bedroom. You put it on the put it on the bed and you close the door, you'll be like, I'll deal with that later. And then you, you like look around and you're like, we haven't dusted in forever, but we don't have time. Hopefully they're only going to be here for like a half an hour and they won't notice it. And then that's not the kind of preparation we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of preparation you, you go through when you know that someone's coming to stay with you for a while. Like when you have family or friends come into town, and they're going to stay with you not just for a couple of hours where they won't notice the dust, hopefully, but they're going to be there for days. When we lived in Michigan, we would have, we would have our family come and stay with us. Right? And because they were going to stay with us for a while, we couldn't just close the doors to rooms down the hallway where we didn't want them to see because eventually, after days in your house, they're going to see those rooms. We couldn't just put stuff quickly into closets and close the doors because eventually they're going to hang up their coat in the closet and they're going to see what's in there. And we had to do some dusting. We had to do some deep cleaning because days with us is certainly a long enough time for them to notice that. So you have to do some deep cleaning. I was always grateful for that because... We might not do that kind of cleaning if we didn't know that they were going to come because eh, it's fine. You don't have to pay attention to that stuff. But I was always grateful that they would come and stay for, for days on end because then we were sort of put in the position where, where we just we had to clean deeply. So this is the season of Advent. And we can be grateful for this season because this is the season where we're encouraged to, to wake up. We're encouraged to prepare because the king is coming. The king is on the way. This is the season. We can be grateful for it because it sort of interrupts our regular everyday life and reminds us that we've all got some cleaning to do, that we've all got some some work to do, not just surface cleaning, the things that everybody else can, can see, but this is deep, deep cleaning, the kind of cleaning that goes to like the, the deepest parts of our souls, not just the parts everyone else can see, but the parts that no one else knows about. It's time to be honest about those things. God's grace and love, those are free. They're already yours. 
But our job is to turn towards it, to do examining in our own lives in order to be prepared to receive it. Because the king's coming to your house. The king's coming. So when we do this work, when we do this work to close the gap between between who we really are and who we think we are or who we want to be or who we know God is calling us to be, we begin to better understand how our stories fit within the story of what God is up to in the world, saving, renewing, transforming the world. We get to be a part of that. God invites us into that, but first we have to repent. We have to turn towards it. And you know what? As a community, this is why what we're doing this afternoon is so important. Right? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do some cleaning. It seems like a little thing. Right? And maybe in the grand scope of what God is doing in the world, it's a small thing. But it's also a big thing. Because there's, there's repentance involved in that. There's us coming together as a community and realizing, oh my goodness, there are systems at place in this world, in place in this world, that cause people to not have what we've been given, to not have, for whatever reason, host of all sorts of different reasons, but they don't have a place to live, a bed to sleep in, a shelter over their heads. And you know what? That isn't right. And so what we want to do is we want to turn towards people like that in order, to, in order to put our hand out so that we can help them up, right? Because we want to be a part of what God is doing in the world. It's a small thing, but it's an important thing, right? God is inviting us to be involved in the transforming, the renewing of all things. That's something to be joyful about. That's something that ought to bring us hope. That's something, that's something to write home about, maybe in a letter. Let's pray.